All right, welcome to Cinema Around the Corner. My name is Ben Wager, and with me is Don Gibson. And today we're talking about films from 1981 nominations for Best Picture in either the Oscars or the Golden Globes, but they did not win. And so that's where we are at. And our movies today are, I picked The Stuntman, and Don went with the classic Raging Bull. So we're going to open up today and start talking a little bit about The Stuntman. The Stuntman was a movie that was actually recorded, uh, filmed in 1977, but had some some issues getting distributed and wasn't distributed until 1980. Uh, it was directed, produced, and uh, co-wrote the screenplay with Richard Rush. Uh, and it was, the screenplay was also written by Lawrence Marcus. It starred uh, Peter O'Toole, uh, Steve Rails book and Barbara Hershey, uh, and it's a movie about stuntmen. So it's uh, it's actually um, a film about uh, making a film, really is what it's about, and it is focusing a lot on plot of this World War One movie that Peter O'Toole is the director of. Uh, the main character Steve Rails book, he plays a. Um, uh, kind of like a convicted, not a convicted felon, but a, a criminal on the run. And he runs onto, literally onto the movie set uh, during some shooting and evades the police. And Peter O'Toole, the director, sees him on the set and, and he ends up rescuing Barbara Hershey in this kind of weird moment where she falls into the water. Uh, and she's the, the main actress in the movie. And he rescues her. And then, you know, the the director gives him a job, and the, and the whole movie is kind of about him being a stuntman, uh, an amateur stuntman on the on the job and learning st the stunts. But then Peter O'Toole is a very eccentric director, and uh, there's a lot of subplots in this, and there's a little bit of humor, and it kind of develops into this um, weird relationship between the the actress, the director, and the and the main character, well, they end up calling him Bert because due to a, a terrible accident that happened at the beginning of the movie, he is replacing a stuntman that, that died in a stunt where um, a, a car had, was driven off a bridge and the guy wasn't able to get out of the car. But then they kind of hide the convict uh, as the person who um, replaces Bert. And when the police are looking for him, they go, oh, no, Bert survives. Here's Bert. And then they, they kind of play him off as, as actually the, the previous stuntman. But everybody on the set knows that that, that stuntman died and this guy replaced him. But he turns out to be quite talented being a stuntman. He's got a lot of mental issues. You know, you see a lot of that in the uh, movie. Apparently, you know, you would call it, I guess, post-traumatic stress syndrome, kind of PTSD from being in Vietnam. And um, he's got issues with women and he's got issues with authority. And uh, there's a lot of development of him as a person being in, in this movie and, and seeing something that he likes, that he's good at. And in the whole movie is kind of revolving around this relationship between these three people and these subplots that are dealing with uh, what's happening in the movie. And, and Peter O'Toole's kind of a manipulating director and he uses whatever he needs to to get the most out of each people. And there's questions about whether, you know, he knew he's willing to put people's lives at risk and, and just using, you know, surgically manipulative uh, moments 
to uh, get the fullest out of his actors or stunt people or whoever he happens to be with. And so that's kind of the revolving message around the movie. I will say that the idea of the movie was created in the early 70s from a book. Pipeline of getting the movie made started in the early 70s, but it took a while for the, the development of this and who was going to be uh, the people in the movie, who was going to write the script, and you know, as these things happen with these movies. But my overall feeling about this movie was it should have been made in the early 70s because that's really, I felt like by the time they made the movie, the movie wasn't really timely. Didn't I didn't think it held up that well. And uh, overall, I just wasn't that impressed with the movie. And of all the movies that we've gone through, this is probably one of my least favorite movies that I actually, I really felt I was just pushing my way through to get through the end of this movie because I just didn't think it held up well and I wasn't impressed with it. Well, you know, it's interesting you say that because I agree, because the, the very fact that this character that Steve Railsbeck plays, the key to him is that he's a survivor of Vietnam, and there's this psychological state that we don't quite understand. His crime is never really revealed, and the whole time we're thinking, okay, he's a crazy guy that killed a whole bunch of people in Vietnam, and now he's, like, murdering. And this stuff is not really revealed in the end. There's this big sort of revelation scene of his crime was actually completely innocuous. He, he pushed over a policeman who hit his head and then he almost uh, suffocated and, and got hypothermia for his head, his head being in a vat of ice cream. So it turned into this sort of comical thing, but the whole time we're like wondering, you know, what's the psychological problem? And, you know, so when I saw this film, we're often referring to when we first saw the films, I, went, I saw it in the theater and I was pretty excited about it because Peter O'Toole uh, was, you know, pretty hot topic at the time and it was getting a lot of good press. Um, and also, I knew it was about stuntmen, and I had previously, two years seen, uh, two years before that, saw a movie called Hooper with Burt Reynolds, and he was the whole, it was the old Smokey and the Bandit kind of stuff where, you know, Burt, you know, with his hairy chest and red leather jackets and his cowboy hat just being Burt laughing all the time. And that was a story about stuntmen and all the trouble, all the, you know, crazy, but it was all about all the women and drinking and but the risks they they went through. But it was, it was a pretty light film. And I was like, oh, this is a more intense film looking at stuntmen. And it's, it's sort of, but it's much more the psychological issue of surviving Nam and then being under a controlling person like O'Toole, who modeled his, his uh, character after David Lean, who's one of these great directors of the 60s and 70s, but was known to be a total dictator. And that relationship and that psychotic dependency, like him knowing that he's a criminal and if he ever steps to the line, he can turn him over to the police and that whole psychological thing at times. He, he, uh, he was the director of Lawrence of Arabia, right? He was. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And also uh, the, the, the others, other classics I haven't, but Lawrence Arabia is one of the big ones and he directed Peter O'Toole in that film. Yeah. And lots of people talk about, yeah. And that it's a beautiful, but he lean had a very specific way, very dramatic, the great tool they use for Peter O'Toole is this crane that he's always like floating around in this chair and he's, he descends in the frame in this chair and, and, you know, kind of like out of the heavens thing. And he's always like out of nowhere. He's putting a spotlight when he's first kissing Barbara Hershey, they think they're secluded and then suddenly there's a spotlight on him and he's always watching. He's all knowing. So his characters, he got nominated for the best actor and yeah, yeah his character is pretty fascinating, but you're right. There's this sort of, oddness to it you're like what's going on in this movie what's what's happening and uh i think it really works at time other times you're like it, it's it's disjointed i would say the way the film works yeah yeah i didn't 
you know, as I said, I felt like the movie was coming out of like the old movie studio system, you know, and and as we talk about Raging Bull and and we see the differences between these movies, you know, we're going to see that this was like the remnants of the the old studio style, you know, the the filming and everything. It just it just seemed flat and it it just had that kind of cheesy 70s vibe to it, you know, and the whole style of the movie for me was something that I was tired of, of seeing, you know, and I saw Raging Bull first and then I watched this movie for the first time. And so, it, you know, looking at the, the vibrancy of this one intense movie and then looking at this kind of what I thought was like a hokey studio project that just didn't, you know, just a real B movie kind of experience. And, you know, as you said, it did get nominated for best director. It got nominated for best actor. It got nominated for best adapted screenplay. It didn't win any of them, but, um, but, you know, it, it really struggled to get a, a distributor. Uh, it did, it took over a year. They had to win some film uh, festival awards before, I think 20th Century finally agreed to distribute the movie. And even then, in retrospectives where, you know, the director or, or some of the people involved in the movie have gone and spoken to students or whatever, and they've said, well, you know, I'm here to talk about this movie. How many people have seen this movie? You know, out of like 200 people, maybe three people would raise their hand because it's just not that, you know, I just don't think it helped. It holds up. It didn't even hold up when it came out. I thought it, it should have been something that should have been filmed in like the late 60s, or early 70s, because I just yeah. felt... It, it didn't really meet the needs of the audience besides that, oh, it's a stuntman movie. And interesting, you, you talked about Hooper and Burt Reynolds. You know, that movie, which which was filmed maybe uh, very close to when this film this movie was actually filmed because it was filmed earlier before it was released, they actually wanted to name that movie The Stuntman. And there was a big litigation where they tried to take the name, but, you know, Richard Rush was able to protect the name of his movie. And so they went with Hooper. But, you know, that whole genre of... Um, stunt movie, you know, this was, it, it kind of dropped in there because of the popularity of Hooper, considered a movie that could potentially have some earnings. And, you know, it didn't, it didn't lose money, but it certainly wasn't be overly impressed by. It. And I'm surprised at how well it has been reviewed, although it, it's not universally considered a, a great movie, but it did get a lot of good reviews and it's got a solid Rotten Tomatoes rating. And, but man, it was one of my least favorite movies since we've started this podcast to watch. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I agree. Like, I think, you know, the thing is, in terms of the tone, like it opens up with this sort of goofy soundtrack and, you know, and these policemen. The dog licking its testicles. You know. Yeah, and the cops are looking for our, our main character. and But it's all sort of goofy and funny, and there's a helicopter flying around. It, it almost comes across, it's got this sort of mash, uh, you know, Robert Altman um, Nashville feeling where it's all just crazy and we don't know what's going to happen. It's almost got this sort of irreverent tone. And and then our main character is playing pinball and he's, you know, trying to, you know, evade the police. And then they arrest him. There's this sort of goofy chase scene. Um, and it seems like, is this a comedy? It seems like a comedy. But then it's not really, a, there's comic moments, but they're not, they don't play the comic moments. And they're, it's, they're not looking for laughs. They're looking... It's like an indictment on the film industry, like how a film industry can come in, take over a town, commit a murder, and no one really cares because they got the shot. Everyone talks about how a movie director is more powerful than, you know, whoever, any world leader or anything. It's it's this weird sort of attack on the film industry, which when you think about it and talk about it, it's like, that's a really interesting film. But as you say, a lot of the moments just don't play well. Like there's a moment when... Like Barbara Hershey, you know, she's the lead, as you said, and her parents come to the set 
And then they have this, so her parents are there watching the rushes, the dailies, you know, the all the highlights of the days before. And he said, the director, Peter O'Toole says, hey, why don't you sit in and watch them? And then he's showing all these great moments and Barbara Hitcher doing great. Then he shows this really awkward naked scene of her, you know, lying there awkwardly and looking naked. It's kind of, it's definitely an embarrassing scene for an actor to have their parents watch. So then they watch it. And then the next day on the shot, when he wants Barbara Hershey to be really tearful and, and feeling horrible about herself, he just casually says, oh, yeah, by the way, last night this happened. Your parents saw this scene with you naked looking really weird and awkward. I'm sorry about that. I don't know how it happens. OK, action. Yeah, and, yeah. Then, and then she's like crying and she's feeling humiliated. And as a viewer, we're like, eh, OK, whatever. Like, you know, I'm sure directors do things like that, but it was really like very heavily played like okay we get it and she was crying about there was nazi symbols behind her and I, I guess the nazis had destroyed we don't even know the story but the nazis had destroyed her family and as you said the film weirdly is is a f first world war film and I, I never understand why the nazi stuff was there because that's clearly the second war but well i, I anyway. think the movie was about her life too because she got it was it was later on her life you're right yeah but it was so. it was definitely uh, some of that was very confusing. The guy that played the the main character, Steve uh, Rails book, he's That's just right. like he's he just uncomfortable person to watch. But you know, you know, the, you know was the movie previous to that that he had played in, he had played Charles Manson, and uh, and actually you could totally see like he's got that perfect. Yeah. You know, he like used part of that character in this character. You know, totally. I saw that thing. I'm not. I, Charlie Manson freaks me out because it's so upsetting. All the disgusting stuff and he and the crazy eyes and that that stare that's really threatening and awful. This kid, this character does it really well, and that he did Charlie Manson really well. But I don't know. You that's this character is like sort of a version of Charlie Manson, I guess, but it doesn't quite. He's like 60% Manson. <laughs> yeah, it's not enough. It's not enough. <laughs> yeah, 60% 60, 60 Manson, 40% Charlie Chaplin. <laughs> yeah, which is a weird combination. <laughs> yeah, well, overall, you know, I, I don't think the movie holds up that well. Uh, the only, I like, I enjoyed Peter O'Toole when he was, you know, he, he, he just has so much energy and he's alive. And actually, you know, Barbara Hershey, when she wasn't playing the, the weak part of that role she i thought she was she had some moments to have the whole movie based on this kind of triangle thing just it didn't really work for me i like the stunt coordinator the guy who played the stunt coordinator i thought he was good and i think he really is that was his job i think he actually was at some point a stunt coordinator or something but learning about how they had to do the stunts that you know just on a technical level that was kind of interesting i'll tell you one person who i just didn't think fit this movie at all was the 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 sheriff or the 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 chief of police, like this New York guy who's been in a lot of movies. I mean, he's famous. I remember me. Yeah, he was in uh, The Godfather. He was the guy in Vegas uh, that they shoot in the eye on the on the tan. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Mo Green. Mo Green. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Like if you once, like I always, when I see him, it's like that's Mo Green, and you, you know, if you got a role, I mean, you're right. For me, he's Mo Green. You're gonna buy me out? I'm gonna buy you out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Big lines with Michael Carleone, and it's a great scene. So. Yeah, no, I mean, that's a classic. Well, I mean, you compare it to Raging Bull, I have to say it's really unfair because Raging Bull is one of the best films in my mind that's ever been made in, in this country. And uh, it's very unfair to compare Stuntman to that film. So uh, let's well, move on I, to Raging yeah, when Bull. I, when I'm comparing it, I'm comparing the styles, really. Yeah, fair enough. 
Yeah. You know, because one is from the old studio system and the other one is like from the new guys, you know. Yeah, true. Yeah. So let's let's segue into why don't you open up a little bit about Raging Bull? Yeah, well, you know, we're talking about films that didn't win. And, you know, if you go back over Oscar winners and you see there's films like The Green Book and there's Driving Miss Daisy, there's a whole bunch of films that win the Oscar. And then you look at the other films that were nominated, like Stanley Kubrick never won an Oscar for Best Director or Best Picture. And uh, it doesn't make any sense. When you look at these award shows, you often have to realize there's a lot of politics in it. And it's often not the best film film made. And so Raging Bull in 1980, there's no doubt about it. He should have won the best picture. It is such an incredible, it's, you know, th this in Taxi Driver, you know, later on Scorsese won for uh, the, uh, yeah, the one that's set in Boston with the- The Departed. The, the Departed. And The Departed's an okay film. I'm not against it. It's perfectly fine. It's nothing compared to Raging Bull. Well, or, I, I think that was like a mercy- it is. It's like, yeah, he's nominated nine times. Like, oh, we'll give it to him now. It's like, whatever. And the reason, there's a lot of reasons for this. Like, you know, Scorsese's a New York-based director, and he's very much focused on New York crews and, you know, New York points of view. And the Oscars and the Golden Globes are, are, are L.A.-based. And L.A. is a, it's a business, and they promote films that are made in their city. And Scorsese has made done very little work in L.A., and it's not complicated why... They're like, oh, hey, we'll nominate you, Marty, but, you know, we're all L.A. people. And it's whatever. It's what it is. But I don't, anyway. I don't buy this, Don. I don't buy this. Oh, yeah. No, I don't buy it, it because, because Woody <laughs> Allen is not treated the same way. Well, look at Woody. He's only won he's, one. He's won. He's won. He's won. Any, I mean, he's, he's won. Most and the, and the no. Globes, the foreign press, they love him. Oh, Golden Globes love him. That's a little different. The Academy's only given one for Annie Hall. But anyway. What are you talking about? Here. What about Hannah and his sisters? I mean, he's won tons. No, but he didn't win for director. He maybe screenplay, but not for the best picture and director. He only got Annie Hall, nominated many times for sure. Yeah. Anyway, let's stick to Raging Bull. Maybe we can fact check later. Fact checking. Um, anyway, so this film is basically the kind of the culmination of the De Niro Scorsese, you know, tandem. So they started working. They did Main Streets together in '73. Then they did Taxi Driver. And then they did uh, New York, New York, uh, which is a film that it was a musical he did with him and Liza Minnelli, did not do well at all. Uh, and then after this, they did King of Comedy. So he did his, all this stuff with De Niro. And this is this is a where and De Niro was the one that wanted this film to happen. And apparently Scorsese wasn't interested. He's not a sports guy. He doesn't like sports films. And he didn't really like the character because Jake LaMotta, it's, it's all about a boxer that fights for the crown um, in the 40s and 50s and, um, and how he's an amazing fighter. He's a really good fighter. It's really more a portrayal of what kind of a person he was and they're, and they're doing both the fighter and the person. Um, and so Scorsese was like, this isn't the film that I'm interested in. But then once De Niro convinced him, he's like, this person is fascinating and I can develop this person incredibly well. Uh, Scorsese finally was convinced and they went ahead with the project. Also, you know, Scorsese was not in a good place at the time. I mean, he, he was, was not. Deep, deep into a heavy Coke addiction. And uh, I think he had, he had, he was, he was hospitalized. Uh, and uh, I think when he, De Niro kind of used this project as a way to get Scorsese out of this deep hole he had created for himself. And, you know, later on, I, I've read that Scorsese, you know, 
basically said that this project was what got him. He might have been dead if he hadn't done this project, you know, and he, he was very grateful for De Niro really pushing for him to do this. Yeah, well, definitely. People, I, they say that he was suicidal and this is kind of the film that got him back on track and back, you know, realizing his vision. So, yeah, it, the irony is interesting because it's it's the old story of like the thing that you never wanted to do turned out the thing that you had to do. And so this film is, you know, uh, I'm sure. And, and the interesting thing is when they were shooting it, and we were talking about uh, Woody Allen. So it's a black and white film. It's not the cinematographer's name is Chapman. And so his his uh, visuals are a little bit like Gordon Willis in Manhattan, which we talked about recently. But it's not it's the the it's it, the style is very different. His style that he was looking to imitate is the style of life photography and with the big flash bulbs. And then we have the really intense darks and the very, you know, because the the flash bulbs would overexpose parts and then other parts would be dark. So there's there's a feeling of like nostalgia because it's in black and white. So these films are obviously made when there's very few color, uh, very bl few black and white films. So Chapman's decision to make it look black and white, um, they say that the, there was a practical reason. It was because the gloves that they made modern day didn't max the gloves they made of uh, the, the, the fights as they were. The colors were off and they couldn't get the proper colors. They were like, well, I'll just shoot a black and white was the original thinking. But then they started to realize how it actually made the film work because we were brought to that era. Yeah, that's what I heard too, was that a lot of the impact on that decision was based on the idea of the old black and white films of the early boxing from the 40s and 50s was all kind of, that's all you saw were these these old black and white um, film pieces of those of those famous matches, you know. And, and also so they wanted to kind of replicate that experience in, in and, the... Um, and the... And the still photos in Life Magazine and Look Magazine, these really stark, and, and the photography, the cinematography is very different in the ring and then in whatever real life or you know personal life. The style and the look, it's, it's really uh, stylized in the ring. There's all this, uh, you know, cloud smoking around, the fog smoking around, which is mimicking, you know, all the cigarette cigar smoke. Uh, and it's really like, you know, high, it's real high contrast between the shadows and the, and the light. And it's not, it, doesn't, it sort of looks like a ring. I mean, it's actually is a ring, but you can't see anything outside of the ring, which is mimicking that style of photography because the way they shot them, it only really photographed what was ever in a certain you know, periphery. So like, so anyways, my point is lots of people are like, I don't really want to see a film like this. I don't like boxing films. There is boxing in it, but it's not a boxing film. It's really, it's like Rocky had come out four or five years before. And they said, we got to make sure it doesn't look anything like Rocky because we don't want to be called, you know, old school Rocky or something. And that was part of their thinking as well. But Rocky really is a boxing film. There is a bunch of boxing in this film, but it's really much more about Jake LaMotta um, who he was as a person. It's actually, actually, there isn't that much boxing. I, I think I read there's a total of 10 minutes of the film that is actually boxing. And, and yeah. it's just, it feels like it, there's a lot of, you know, because the boxing scenes are so intense. And the way that he shot, you know, he shot all the, that's the only part of it that was all done on set in California was they, they created those box. And even like the ring sizes are psychologically connected to how well he's doing. If he's losing... The fight than the ring they filmed the ring in a smaller ring but if he was doing well it was a bigger ring so it had you know they were using a lot of uh psychological uh connections to how the battles and of the boxing was going and and you know they put a lot of thought into it it was very realistic 
Um, and I, I'm, you know, that last boxing scene, which I'm sure you'll talk about with uh, his his fight with final fight with Robinson, is extremely powerful and gory scene. But it, in actuality, the boxing is is only ten minutes of, of total film time. Uh, as you said, it does seem like more. And they have they have these slowdowns. So that that scene you're talking about, we have these slowdown, uh, slow motion scenes of close ups of of punches to the face and. We have blood spattering the front row and dripping off the ropes. Yeah, it's uh, it's really gruesome. And there's this fascinating Foley sound of like these moans and screams and growls and animal sounds. Yeah, it's really quite surreal. Uh, the sequences, they're really uh, incredibly intense and they feel like kind of real, but they're also sur- surreal. They're not exactly they're not a realistic portrayal of exactly what happened in the ring, but they're definitely moments of like you feel like that he's, he's recreating what it's like. Did you read how he was inspired? Scorsese was inspired to shoot that. Do you do you, you know what film inspired his style on that last that last? Uh, it, no, it, it, Psycho, the the blood in the shower scene in Psycho is that yeah. was what influenced how he shot that last scene with all the blood yeah. spurting out of the face. Because in this scene, uh, Lamana is not going to win this fight. Uh, he's refusing to get knocked down. Rob, he's defenseless, and Robinson is just pounding away at him, and it's just brutally bloody and fatalistic, and he won't go down, and it just gets worse and worse. And in, in this, you know, just like you were saying, blood is everywhere, and it and it does have that kind of psycho horror movie kind of vibe to it, and you can really see that you know that would be an influence. Scorsese hit it if he was trying to use Psycho, man. He he, he did well because the blood spraying everywhere was really really gory. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a little bit upsetting, um, but it's also framed so like the opening sequence, the credits, opening credits is just a shot of of De Niro in his you know obviously playing Lamada in his like leopard skin you know warm up uh, top, and he's shadow boxing in this ring, and it's it's operatic it's so beautiful there's this music this uh music played by pietro mascani um and it's just epic and beautiful and the whole sequence is maybe five six minutes long it's of this you know lots of shadows called low-key lighting with shadows and high contrast and all the smoke floating around and it's slow motion sequence of de niro shadow boxing in the ring one entire slow shot and then, then the story starts and that sets up immediately. You're like, what am I watching? This is some sort of beautiful, like if you're feeling you're, you're watching something much larger than life and you're, you're fascinating. Who is this character? And then we start learning about his background and the story of, of, of Lamada. And Lamada is a fascinating person from history. Like he is a guy that refused to be managed by the mob. And, you know, the mob, you know, this fighting has been very well known to be a totally rigged affair for, you know, almost its entire existence in, in the States anyway. And, you know, you would be told by the mob to throw a fight because they if you if you were throwing a fight, they knew and they'd win lots of money on it. And so Lamada, and there's a lot of historical accuracy to this. Uh, he refused to be managed. He was managed by his brother and he wouldn't do these things. And he he did his own way. Eventually, he had to throw a fight because otherwise his career was never going to happen. He wasn't going to get a shot. At the- he, wasn't, he was never going to get a title shot. And uh, when he did that, everyone knew he did it. And he immediately got barred uh, from fighting for like two years for Although doing. He did get the shot, though. He did. He, did he eventually it. came back and got the shot. And the whole and it was all about his principles and believing in what he should believe in. And he was shattered. He was shattered after that fight. Yeah. 
But, you know, he's really, I mean, so this film, like we're talking a lot about the boxing. For me, these are the, the, the scenes of De Niro. And this is Joe Pesci's first major film. And this is when you start seeing Pesci, the psycho. Well, De Niro is definitely playing the big psycho. And uh, but but Pesci, the younger brother, really admires his older brother. And then we see him all the, you know, the foul mouth screaming and yelling and ready to fight, punch. And, and so this is, you know, later he did Goodfellas and Casino. And this is the this is where the character really came from. And Joe Pesci's like, this is where Pesci realized, oh, I can do this character really well. And this is uh, where it started. So like one of the great scenes for me is when uh, Jake LaMotta, De Niro, he says, he tells his brother, come on, punch me in the face. And he's like, I'm not going to punch you in the face. And it's just, it's basically shot like two different angles, but mostly one shot, just the two of them. And it goes on and on for like three or four minutes, punch me in the face. And I'm not going to punch you in the face. And then he finally says, well, I, I don't have a glove to punch you with. And he's like, oh, he's going to punch him in the face. And then he wraps a towel around his face and then, you know, he punches them. He keeps saying, yeah, hey, you're, you're a pussy. Hit me harder. And he's like, then he starts getting mad. And these punches, they look really real. They're very well. They are, they are real. They really did punch each other. That's yeah. And then he says, take the towel off. And he starts punching him in the face. And it's, it's crazy. You're like, what is going on in this yeah, film? But that's early in the film. It really sets the tone. You know, It sets the tone. Yeah. And then right after that, there's a sequence of his steak. And so he says to his wife, come on, I want my steak. She says, it's not done yet. And then it goes back and forth. I don't want you to overcook my steak. And she says, it's raw. And they just yell back and forth. And he that says, right I want before. my steak. That was actually right, oh, before. right before. Yeah, right. And then, and then she comes in and he says that yeah. with the punching. And you're just like, oh, this guy is on the edge. Yeah. And then there's a neighbor yelling, you're an animal. And he's just like, and he yells down, your mother's an animal. And I'm, I'm going to kill, kill your dog. I'm going to kill, kill your dog. dog. And we're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> well, this is just a guy sitting. I think mean, he's not. He's just sitting there doing nothing. Oh, it's intense. It's, you really yeah. get the tone of the character. And then, yeah. uh, you know, another interesting thing is that's his first wife. Right. And then he ends up leaving uh, that wife for this, uh, this other character. Uh, maybe one of Kathy Moriarty. And Vicky. Uh, Vicky, Vicky LaMotta, you know, she, what, she did such a phenomenal job. I think. Oh, she's amazing. And she, like, she takes, she gives as good as she gets. Like, there's a great scene where he's, you know, he's convinced that, you know, she's having affairs with guys in the mob and her brother, and he won't leave her alone. And then he's, she's like, okay, why did you have sex with my brother? Why did you do that? And she's, I didn't, I didn't. He keeps going. He's like, okay, you want the truth? I want the truth. It's like, yeah, I, I had sex with your brother and I sucked his cock. He's like, what? You sucked his cock? He's like, yeah, and I sucked everybody's cock. And he's like, what? And then he starts, then she hides in the bathroom and he and, and she's like yelling and screaming at him. And then this is the classic, the, the moment in the film where he goes over to his brother because his wife has confessed to having sex with him, but obviously it didn't happen, but she just did it to get him to shut up. And he basically punches, knocks everybody out. And he's like on the verge of killing everybody, his brother and his wife, the two biggest supporters he has. And it's just, and we're looking at, we're kind of empathetic for him because we, we feel bad. Like, why is he doing this? He just, he's gone, he's lost it. And we're wondering maybe he's been hit in the head too many times or the fact that he can't get a fight through the mafia or whatever it is. Um, the fact that he's acting so psychotic and we're still actually empathetic for him is really quite amazing. Yeah. And, you know, going back to the, uh, the Kathy Moriarty, Vicky Lamont's character and in that, you know, the, the story about how uh, Joe Pesci just found her at a beauty contest in the Bronx. She was, she's a Bronx girl, born and bred Irish Bronx. And he, and he went to some beauty contests and he met her and he's like, here, you know, 
uh, can I get your name? You know, and then like two weeks later, he calls her and says, hey, we got this movie. You want to be in it? You know, and basically she got picked out of nowhere and then she gets put into this movie and everybody's like, oh my God, this is, she's perfect for this. And she was, she was exactly the character that she played. And, and some of the scenes where he first kind of meets her at the pool and she's young in this movie. I mean, she's, I think in real life, she's 17 or 18 and she's playing a 15 or 16 year old. Yeah. Uh, there's a real they're at the fence and he's like is it she's like is that your car and he's like yeah yeah that's my car and he's like waiting and he's like you want to take a ride with me and all of that's improv improvisation none of that was scripted and that whole little energy between them and everything you know it was really authentic you really felt it i i would have probably nominated her for for something in that movie i don't know if she was but man just her being in that first role like that with very little uh, experience in acting, she just—I thought she hit it out of the ballpark. I totally agree. And there's also the a sex, the sex scene with her, him, her, and De Niro, uh, and he's he's pre-fight. You know, I think he's fighting within a week, and he's in his head. And I think a lot of fighters think you don't have sex for like I don't know a month or something before a fight because when you you know usually when you lose your semen, you're losing that edge you have in a fight. But he really is aroused by her. And he's doing all this thing, he's, and she's has this long, really awkward scene of him, of her kissing his chest and his close-ups, and it's really intense and it's sort of erotic, but it's also kind of uncomfortable. And then right when he can't handle it anymore, he jumps up, pushes her away, and then goes in the bathroom and jump, dumps a jug of ice water into his shorts, yeah. uh, which is this crazy look at like this guy was, you know, I don't know how factual those scenes are, but you as a as a character in a film we are riveted of like what we can't, we don't know, even know what's going to happen next. We can't, we know something bad is going to happen, but we don't know what's going to happen uh, next. The other thing we should got to talk about is that, you know, so this is all basically it's all set in the prime of his career, you know, like over like seven, eight, 10 years, but then it's framed by him present day, which is like mid sixties and uh, the beginning and the end, which was the collapse of LaMotta. So LaMotta, he ran a, a nightclub, and he was sort of a comedian, you know, he did all these sort of one-liners and, you know, a little bit of rhyming here and there. But people went to see Jake LaMotta running a club and he said a lot of off-color jokes. And he, anyway, so he eventually got busted for having sex with underage girls, which is right. And uh, he went to jail. And the, in, in these sequences, De Niro is like 70 pounds heavier. And it's amazing, like in the fight se sequences, He's incredibly, obviously in great shape. He just looks like, you know, it looks like a fighter. And the, 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 the shooting of the film actually paused for four months. The entire crew was paid for the four months while they were waiting. And De Niro just went to Europe and Italy and just ate for four months. And he came back and he was 70 pounds heavier. And then he played this latter section, which is really, there's a sequence in the end when He's uh, arrested and put in jail. And there's this crazy sequence where he's banging his head and then his arms into the wall, and he's just hammering them. I'm, and I, I keep wondering, is that is that really cement or what is that? Because it's how hard he hits the wall and the cement is just very distressing, to say the least. Yeah. Oh, I, I had read that uh, Scorsese had at one point stopped the production because he was worried about De Niro's health because his breathing was so bad. He was tired all the time and they had to shoot quickly. I mean, he really, really just damaged himself by gaining this much weight this fast. Yeah. Apparently, it was, it was, you know, pretty serious because, and you could see it. You could tell, like, his breathing is bad in, in oh, yeah. the nightclub, and he's trying to talk, and 
it's really noticeable. And uh, and you know, he's not. It's not the first time that De Niro has done this. He did this too for um, uh, the movie where he plays Scarface and uh, Al Capone. Uh, what was that movie? Um, that is Scarface. No, 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 no. No, he didn't play. That was uh, oh, you know, he he. That's, that's Pacino. Yeah. Yeah, this is the one with Kevin Costner and. Uh, oh, in the Untouchables. The Untouchables. Yeah, he gained a lot of weight for that, but um, not nothing like this. I don't think. Uh, very much, uh, you know, dedicated actor to do just damage himself like that because you know, and the guy is you know to be able to bounce back from that, he's, he he has phenomenal discipline. Yeah, it's unbelievable. I mean, and as I said, when you actually see him, you're looking at him as like, is that makeup? And maybe they added something here and there, but it's not. And you see him lying there in his in his shorts, and you're like, this is a really you know middle aged, heavily overweight guy. And, you know, literally four months before, he was incredibly great shape and to, to be willing. And the film was definitely marketed that way. Everyone, when they released this film, everyone said, did you, did you hear that De Niro gained 70 pounds for this role? And, and you know, it's kind of like the hype for Tom Hanks when he did Castaway. Everyone talked about the difference between, you know, he'd been living on the island for seven months and then, you know, how he was. And, you know, Tom Hanks didn't do exactly the same, but he did quite a bit along the same lines of like, you know, what can you do to your body? They did it the other way around where they did the, uh, the heavier scenes first, and then he lost the weights to do the other stuff. So anyway, um, I recommend this film highly. It's a great yeah, film. Yeah. Beautifully no, it's, made. It's, uh, it's definitely, you know, I, I would say it's, it's, it's just very powerful. I mean, and De Niro rightly so won the best Oscar for this and, uh, I mean, he, the exactly. energy and intensity he put into that character bounced off that screen. I mean, he, he was just, every scene was just so powerful, uh, regardless yeah. of the setting. And yeah, as you said before, you see the emergence of Joe Pesci and that character he plays in so many of those movies. Uh, and then, you know, the surprise, the strength of, of, of Kathy in the role of Mickey Romana was good. I, it was a flawless movie, in my opinion. I mean, it was just so well done and just such a masterpiece of style or pinnacle of what I would say is a great Scorsese movie, you know, and just a great movie in general, but Scorsese was just hitting it out of the ballpark with the movie. Yeah, I totally agree. And the film that won Best Picture that year was Ordinary People, which is not a bad film. It's perfectly fine. And Timothy Hutton is a very good actor in as well. Mary Tyler Moore has the great, there's a couple of great scenes in it. And, and, and Robert Redford is a perfectly, you know, he's a good filmmaker, but the fact that Ordinary People is considered a better film than Raging Bull, or at the time, that's politics. That ain't that ain't people looking at films saying which is a better made film. It's Robert Redford's a very well-connected man. I'm nothing against Robert Redford, of course. He's a great filmmaker. He's done a lot of interesting things. And the film was interesting, but uh, that film it's was no Raging Bull. Bull. It's no Raging Bull. <laughs> All right, good point, Don. And I think we talked some, uh, some really good points. This movie, obviously, just... A fantastic movie and stuntman no not a not a fantastic although at the time people yes. liked it but uh you know when we're looking at these movies um you know, i wish i probably had watched the stuntman first and then watched raging bull but i watched it the other way around and it made the stuntman even worse for me but overall <laughs> not that bad. Know, i i i enjoy these experiences so i gotta take a hit once in a while and that's just the way it is and i took a hit with the stuntman but we'll I'm, I'm taking a, next week i'm taking a bit of a risk so think about that all right all right so good talk good movies and we'll see you next time on cinema around the corner see ya